0: Hello, and welcome back to Real-Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin Redwing, joined once again by my co-host, Sam Mosier. Sam, how are you doing today?
1: I am a bit stuffy. Uh, Caitlin, I don't know. I've never dealt with allergies before. Is this why everybody complains about the spring? Uh, probably because it's not fun, but I'm happy to be here. I'm on the mend. Uh, I sound much better than I did a couple of days ago. So never a better time to podcast. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Um, Welcome to aging when you start <laughs> developing allergies to every living thing on this planet. Um, Yeah as why I'm always, like, wiping tears from my eyes on calls. It's not because I'm, like, crying out of emotion. It's just allergies. And it gets worse every year. So. Yay. <laughs> I feel for you, but also welcome to the club. Um, today, we are joined by fellow Triple Pointers, Nick Shepard and Haley Moni this week to discuss the busiest release period for games in a long time. Haley and Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Um, first, as always, we like to ask our guests some get to know you questions. Nick has been on before, so we will, uh, not bully him this time. Chopped but... <laughs> deliver. <laughs> <laughs> but Haley, since you have never been on the show before, we just want to start off by asking, what is your favorite game of all time?
2: Yeah, this was a question I very literally pondered for hours. <laughs> it's so difficult, but I think I narrowed it down to Divinity the Original Sin 2, love that game so much fun if you haven't played it highly recommend
1: when you play it what's your like on the chaotic chaotic to lawful good to evil where do you Ooh. where do you fall
2: i think i like to play pretty lawful because i feel for the npcs they like get my heartstrings, and it just hurts me i can't play evil i wish i could
3: That makes me feel really good about The Next Generation. (laughs) I'm fully the opposite when I play games like that. I'm just like, oh, the dark side.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. I had friends who did the full 100-hour run of that game together, four-party group, which was incredibly impressive. And at the very end, one of my friends betrayed his whole group in the final showdown.
2: Oh, that happened to me. I was playing... With one of my friends, we did a two party and we each brought an NPC on for us. It was the final one and we had agreed we were going to like settle it civilly. Backstabbed. (laughs) I lost. It was horrendous. You know what? Sometimes you got to just do things for the bit. You know? You do. (laughs) (laughs) You do.
0: The chaos, the entertainment, (laughs) the content.
3: But here's the real question like, do you like role play? In your room, like with the controller in your hand, like, do you also are are you in character during those moments?
2: I was not. I think we were just we were just playing it to play it.
3: Okay. Because if I play a single player game, this is like mildly embarrassing. If I'm (laughs) playing a single player game, I will very frequently be like talking in voices at the screen.
0: Yes, me too. Do you um? When you get to, like, name a character, do you name it you? Or do you have, like, an Ooh. original character that you have that you input into games?
3: So I do. I, I have three. Um, <laughs> when I'm feeling kind of punchy, uh, I, I name my character spelled uh, behead me. And sometimes <laughs> I'll say, depending on my mood, the H is silent, which is a ah. slightly off-color ah. joke. Um and that, that's like my DND usual guy, and I go with that guy. Yeah. Um, and then the other one I'll go with, and if I'm really feeling punchy, it's Rick. Rick is my alter ego who only comes yes. out when I'm behaving badly. <laughs> and then if it's just me, I'll do Nick, but I only spell it with a C to make it more like fan- fantasy friendly.
0: <laughs> I love that. I'm so glad other people do that. I don't have three. I have like. What I've got a couple, but one of mine is, like, I usually go to, like, Scarlet Veil. Vale. It feels Ooh. like a fantasy name to me. And that's... So I play, like, a lot of games, and I'm, like, oh, like, this is... I just, like, create entire storylines for my original character. Um, honestly, I probably should be playing D&D. Don't know why. I do it basically on my own, in my room, <laughs> playing single player <laughs> games. Uh, hmm. Glad to know we're not all alone and. <laughs> <laughs> we're all unique weirdos <laughs> yes um, great well thank you so much Haley um, next this is for everybody and I feel like I know what the answers are going to be but what is everybody playing right now Sam you want to kick us off
1: so it's related to what you think I'm gonna say, but it is its predecessor. I am playing Breath of the Wild, a game I never beat because it is huge. It's a huge game, and it's okay to not beat games that are you 100 hours had, long.
0: You only had like what seven years?
1: Lots, <laughs> lots
0: happened between now and then. I've been busy. <laughs> Um, I say as I never finished
1: it I was gonna say we're, we're comrades on that front uh, but yes I am finally beating Breath of the Wild in advance of what will tie in very naturally to our main topic this week uh, Tears of the Kingdom it's just as good as I remember and I'm glad I'm playing it now because from everything I've heard about Tears of the Kingdom which we will be talking about right after this uh, I've heard it's like Breath of the Wild is the first draft of you know, a proof of concept is the is the turn of phrase I'm looking for for what Tears of the Kingdom is fully realized. the The shrines, the puzzle solutions, the creativity that players can execute is even bigger from what I've heard. But going back to Breath of the Wild, I'm not unhappy. It doesn't feel like a proof of concept. Then um, I'm 60 shrines in, three divine beasts down. Just got the Master Sword, so I think in like five ish out. I just have one divine beast left, and then Ganon. Then I'm done. Then it's Tears yeah. of the Kingdom time. Um,
0: Wow. Yeah, you are almost there. I will say, though, okay, so I am playing Tears of the Kingdom.
1: Nice. Um, humble brag.
0: It does yeah, hum, Humble brag. <laughs> it, even though I couldn't play until Monday because I went on vacation and didn't bring my Switch with me like an idiot, <laughs> but it's fine. I'm just proud that I didn't buy a Switch <laughs> while I was back in Michigan. Um, looking back, though, Breath of the Wild does feel like proof of concept game in a way that i really struggled with breath of the wild in like the game direction and how the like side quests and just like Mm -hmm. knowing what you're supposed to do and how to further the game along it just felt very aimless whereas tears of the kingdom has like perfected um guiding you in a way that doesn't feel like it's guiding just like how you're exploring the game, the side quests lead you in areas that really help you progress your like your character, like you find shrines that are important um it all kind of it just ties together really well. I just feel like I always know where I need to be going and doing, whereas I just felt that was very difficult for me in breath of the wild um and honest and the puzzles are just so much better that's what I felt like. Zelda has always had such great puzzles, and I felt like that was missing in Breath of the Wild. So I'm just, I'm fully loving Tears of the Kingdom, and I, like, spend my lunch break. I'm, like, sitting here, I'm like, when can I go on lunch to go play for 20 minutes? Um, Every day. So, I really love it. But I can't wait for you to finish Breath of the Wild and play Tears of the Kingdom, um, because I didn't finish Breath of the Wild, but I just watched all of the cutscenes and lore videos
1: nice well i'm glad Cheater. you're <laughs> i
0: know i am I, <laughs> it's that's my life it, there are, i've only finished a handful of games i never finish games it's so hard
1: is there any other market differences between the two games that you've noticed like or do you feel it's pretty familiar um in good ways from what you played with breath of the wild
0: um God, it feels way more different. Like yes, you have the main map, but you have the like the sky map, and then there's an there's an underground, I can't remember what it's called. Um that really gives me like that darker feel, which as everybody knows, I love Twilight Princess, and I love the darker themes in Zelda, and I feel like we're really getting that in this game. Um I don't know, it feels like a whole new game to me. It just with the craft the crafting the powers that you have in this are just very different from breath of the wild. I like these more. um, Honestly, I just love watching the TikToks of people being extremely creative (laughs) in this game. Meanwhile, I'm trying to make a cart. And when I went to hit the fans to turn it on, I hit it with my like flamethrower sword. So then I burnt the cart (laughs) and myself. I was like, this is great. 10 out of 10 game. That makes sense that I would do this. So we're not doing it. I'm going to <laughs> go on ten, foot. The cards burned. <laughs> yes. 10 seconds into building a cart, it was burned to the ground.
1: <laughs> Haley, Nick, are either of you playing Tears of the Kingdom or are you playing something else? I'm not. Something else. So, Nick, I know you're playing, you know, speaking of this busy period, one of the other huge game releases of this year, Jedi Survivor. And as I know, Caitlin is Not anymore. Well. Oh, have you
3: beaten it? I beat it. Nice. Yeah, I beat it last night. Um, nice. Game rules. Uh, it's it's everything that the first game had um, with all kinds of extra flavors and spiciness and customizations and more stances and more open world and more, 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 more. The game is awesome. Um, the story is cookie cutter until it's not. Um, and because this isn't a spoiler cast, uh, I will only say there is one moment that took me so by surprise. I like literally jumped out of my seat and was like, Oh my God. And and that was like, what <laughs> happened. So yeah.
0: Caitlin,
1: you're playing it as well, right?
0: I am. Yes. I haven't touched it this week since I've been back. So I only played like 10 or so hours before i i was gone the past couple of weeks so i really have to get back into it um i'm sure i will like this weekend i'll, I'll need a break from Tears of the kingdom or i'll force myself to
3: <laughs> i um i refuse to touch uh my switch when i'm not traveling um Oh. So, I like, I'm I've, I've just about to beat Breath of the Wild. It's taken me, like, multiple years. Join the club! Um, right? And just <laughs> like Like, because, I, I mean, like, I am deathly afraid of flying on airplanes. Like, I am the worst flyer ever where I, mm-hmm. like, I'm, like, white-knuckling the seat grip and, like, sweating. And I, like, generally get off an airplane and, like, need to put on deodorant or something because I smell. Like, it just is all bad and ugly. Um, So, video games are amazing on an airplane and i always want to have something new to play so i just don't touch my switch except except the airplane
1: so speaking we, we compared breath of the wild to tears of the kingdom a six-year wait between said games how does fallen order compared to survivor um i i know one of the kind of like key messages or at least maybe so much stories that came out around survivor was how impressive it was that respawn made it in only three years um what would you say are the big differences or you know improvements between the two
3: Um, I mean, the one that really stands out is in this game, you get like five different lightsaber stances. Um, and each of those is basically its own unique, like combat class, right? Like if you think about if you think about these games, um, the best analog for them is like a souls like, right. And basically they have introduced four additional classes, um, to this sequel. Um, there's. You know, you can be full double wielding all the time. You can have two lightsabers, or you can do the Darth Maul thing, or you can do the Kylo Ren thing, or you can pick up a blaster gun and shoot people with a lightsaber in your other hand. And all of them play very differently. Um, And just when you start interweaving it, like with force powers, like I don't know, man, the sandboxiness of like. Lifting somebody in the air, shooting him in the head, tossing my lightsaber over the other way, doing a backflip while I'm dodging something, calling my lightsaber back, blocking something, and then decapitating a boss. I'm like, yeah, oh, wow, yeah, that was all made for me.
0: <laughs> what um, what are the? Because you can you can um, equip two different stances yes. at a time. What are the two that you use the most?
3: Um, so uh, being my dumb like edge lordy self, it's mm-hmm. the Kylo Ren uh oh. the cross bl- you know he's got like the, the the like cross, the cross guard. guard yeah which yeah. which like legitimately serves no purpose in the game, like you don't actually use the cross guard the lightsaber is just like longer and slower um, it's
0: best for defense
3: yeah well it, it's best it has a
0: better defense it also
3: hits really hard, um so it's kind of like like if you're going back to the Soul's Lake analogy, it's like using like a warhammer mm-hmm. instead of you know slicing and dicing rogue daggers.
1: So you can't do the thing Kylo does in Force Awakens where he's like, uh, you know, crossed up with somebody and then he twists and then it. And he's like trying to like, oh. yeah, like,
3: like, like inching that side blade yeah. closer and closer to the face. Yeah. No, that doesn't, that does not
1: play into it. <laughs> next game. Next game. Yeah. Next game. You
0: can, ro- you can role play. Oh, like I'm doing that right now.
3: <laughs> I, some of the, I, like there have been embarrassing, like I am your father moments <laughs> while I'm playing this game, you know?
0: I mean, I did give Cal Kestis a mullet and he's 100% like a southern like F boy. I'm so
3: sorry to like dominate this conversation, but y'all who are listening to the podcast cannot see me. I am a proud ginger and I cannot recall the last time I got two video games that had a ginger in it. Like this is the only one as the main character. Like it's. You know, it's almost as good as playing Mass Effect and being Commander Shepard, but...
0: You mean you don't count Crash Bandicoot as a ginger in the video game
3: universe? Uh, I mean, I think you need to change your TV settings.
2: (laughs) Fair. Um, Haley, what are you playing? I'm going to ruin the trend of playing new games so miserably because I'm playing Dark Souls 3. Um. And I am currently absolutely miserably stuck on a boss. It's called the Nameless King. It's horrendous, and I'm fighting demons playing that game. But um, love the Souls games, and so I'm finally... I'm like three bosses away from beating it, and my goal is after this to actually get into Elden Ring. So oh, that's I, our goal here. I can't wait for you to get into Elden Ring. We're going to talk. Oh, I'm so excited. I had to push it off for with like school because I'm recent recently graduated so I didn't have that time to really invest into that um kind of game but now that I just have a job oh I'm so excited <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I probably wouldn't have like dropped out of school if Elden Ring came out <laughs> when I was in school so I valid spent way too many hours playing Elden Ring and never again never finished it um but that game is so hard and I want to go back to it and I started as a rogue class, and that oh, was yeah. a little bit more difficult in the beginning. So I might start out with like an easier class, and
2: yeah, to help me get in it, the groove. In Dark Souls, I my friend group has a lot of influence on um, Dark Souls, and they have this mentality that if you play magic, you're taking the cheap way out. So of course, when they got me into it, they were like, "Play the big stick, max your strength." you're going in there guns a blazing (laughs) and you're fighting it off that way. So I've um, playing like a strength build against like Pontiff was maybe, maybe the worst thing I've ever (laughs) had to do. (laughs) It was so bad, but I look forward to being able to explore like the Elden Ring classes. And um, yeah, I, I think I plan,
0: I want to do the, like the mage magic when I, for my next uh, class.
2: It looks so cool. I I know. I have, like,
0: coming across people, and they're like, you want to learn, like, magic? And I'm, like, a rogue, and I'm like, "Uh, it probably doesn't make sense for you to do it. Like, that's this class, so not now, but it looks really cool, and there's some... Yeah, I don't know. I just... (laughs) Message me once you start Elden Ring.
2: Oh, I will. I'll be be there.
0: Great. Well, now on to our main topic of today's episode. Um, It is all about... (laughs) Q2 2023 is going down as one of the busiest release periods of the year and one one of just the most packed quarters ever. In the last three weeks, we've seen Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which we talked about, Redfall, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom that we've talked about, and in the next few months, we're going to see the releases of Diablo 4, Street Fighter 6, Final Fantasy 16, uh, Pikmin 4, and more. So... Really, our conversation today is, why are all of these releases happening right now? Um, summer is traditionally a very slow period for game releases, so it kind of comes as a surprise. But we know since COVID has happened, release schedules have just been absolutely insane and unpredictable. And I just, I don't know, I'd like to know your guys' thoughts. Is this something that you think will be a trend? Are we going to see more A's? releasing during this period rather than like the Christmas holiday season, or is this just the, the backlog from the COVID years? Nick, your hand is raised. I raised
3: my hand. You can't see that. I forget. <laughs> yeah. I always forget all of you lovely people who are listening. Um, so I think it's going to continue. Um, I think if you think about like super macro level, uh, consumer purchasing behavior—it um, makes a lot of sense, right? Like people get consoles a lot for Christmas, right? And that's why we see so many games indexing into that period. But then what happens is um, COVID proved COVID proved that gaming was increasing as just like a general hobby amongst the mainstream consumer at a massive clip now some of the um, purchasing behavior indicates that may have fallen off a little bit but if you think about it there's a lot more people gaming people get a console usually like i don't want to say usually but how many kids get a console for christmas probably a lot right um they play the game they got with the console and then that takes them a couple months and then all of a sudden it's may right and Feels like if you think about it, like almost like a quarter, it takes a consumer, a qu- like a the mainstream consumer, to play these games that are now like sprawling, huge epics that are like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80, 100 hour playthroughs, like we're talking with like Tears of the Kingdom. If you're playing Tears of the Kingdom now, I don't know when you're going to be playing another game, but it's not going to be for a couple <laughs> months, right? Until you put that down. Then you're going to be out in the market looking for your next game. And that feels like May. Um, lines up quite nicely with that with the holiday period. So And that's my spiel. you see kids like getting out of school like right around that's now it. too.
1: It's like I think there was this and to a degree we still see slower release periods in July and August, but uh, I think for a long time growing up there was this fear or 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 just frankly slow period between like April to around july and then at the end of august you'd start seeing the holiday release period heat up but in the last just decade you have things like last of us came out in june last of Us part two came out in june goes to tsushima was a july release Mm -hmm. and then this year rather than just having one it's like how about we just make the full summer uh about giant game releases
0: yeah and i i I forgot to mention it yeah the last of us part one came out on pc yes last month or the month before um we're also seeing, like, game consoles launch just in the middle of the year. I know um, Asus, am I saying that right? Launched their, is it ROG? The Asus
1: ROG Ally.
0: ROG Ally, yes. The Steam Deck competitor. Mm. Um, so you have that. You have the Steam Deck. You have the Date. You have the, the Pocket Analog. You've got your Switches and Xboxes and Playstations and who knows what the next console is going to be, but it feels like everybody is trying to get into the console market because just what Nick has said is COVID just showed how many people are playing video games and that's not going to slow down really.
3: I do want to caveat this with one thing. Um, and without saying it in a way that is like really like people, business people look at numbers and not at context. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see all of these. These are all massive AAA games, right? And they're arguably all, like, system movers in their own right. Um, And, you know, Tears of the Kingdom certainly is a system mover in its own right. Um, But with them all coming out so close together, is there going to be any consumer fatigue that means that some of these games don't hit the numbers that they had projected? right? Like when you have to choose between essentially six of the biggest game releases of the year in a six-week period, you're probably not buying all six,
0: no. right? Yeah. And
3: that means some somebody is going to be the victim, right? And we don't know who that's going to be yet, but it, it might mean that there, people may look at this for future game releases as having additional business risk. Um, if people are really looking at this as like the second holiday swing, does it really make sense um, to put out a game like Final Fantasy a month after Diablo, or do those need to be separated further, right? Does it really make sense to have Tears of the Kingdom come out two, three weeks before Diablo, or does that need to be separated further? And then the real kicker is like Microsoft put out Redfall and that kicked off all of this, and obviously, it got really terrible reviews. And I think that in years past, like I was looking at this, and sorry again to dominate all of these conversations. I was looking at the game releases from last May, and there is nothing in there that I'm like, oh man, I loved that. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, it looked like, you know, um, how Hollywood studios will talk about like the January blockbuster. And that's yeah. really like where you put out your not very good stuff. Dumpy Wary. Dumpy Wary. Exactly. Dump- yeah. Like, is it, is it, Dump a? I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe it was last year, but it f- Red Ball felt more like a piece of that than a piece of the t- May 2023. And I think that's making it stand out even more uh, as a critical disappointment alongside all of these other
2: games.
0: Yeah, I feel like if it had came out last year, it probably it it would have been a lukewarm reception of like, OK, great. We don't have much to play right now. This is fine for the time being. Rather than this is garbage, don't play it. There are better
2: things to play. Yeah, I, th- I think to your point, Nick, when you're talking about um, like people getting fatigued from all these games coming out all at once, I again playing on like the just graduated from college, poor college broke kid type vibe. Um, my roommates and I were sitting in the living room talking about like, hey, do we buy Zelda or do we buy Diablo? Because they're both right. seventy dollars, and when you're on a college budget, as a lot like most of us are coming off of now, but still on that college budget, you're going to have to pick one or the other. It's going to be Diablo or it's going to be Tears of the Kingdom, and it's not going to be both because $70 is a lot of money for a game. I mean, a good game, but <laughs> still a lot of money.
1: Two thoughts tag teaming on uh, kind of two separate threads we've had going here. One, I like Nick's theory about the quarterly release cadence, like following the habits of the length of these games and how long it takes people to get sick of or beat something before wanting to move on to something else. We've heard Microsoft acknowledge as much. That Phil Spencer has said frequently in interviews that a big goal for them is to have a tentpole or at least a, a major release every quarter. Um, you know, they had Hi-Fi Rush and, and Minecraft Legends. I always get it confused with Dungeons in the first quarter, Redfall was supposed to be their Q2 thing, or I guess it was, just maybe not as well-received as they had hoped. Starfield, of course, is coming out in Q3. And then, you know, hopefully, um, they said it would come out this year, Forza Motorsport um, will be Q4. Um, And, you know, their objectives are a bit different. They're trying to drive Game Pass subscribers. But, you know, I'm sure their logic is, if we have something big come out every quarter, that's going to keep people subscribed. So, ultimately, the same thing.
0: Yeah, they... Their strategy is basically what you said. It's I don't think they need to focus so much on exclusives as much as having those giant tentpole games be on Game Pass day yeah. of release. It's
1: the same way like Disney Plus has like the Mandalorian in the first ha- quarter yeah, and right. then like, you know, they just announced like Loki's coming out in the fall, stay subscribed. Mm-hmm. Um, There's yeah. always
0: something to look forward to.
1: Mm-hmm. The other, and this is, you know, me really flexing or or trying my best to put on my business hat here. Um, My understanding of release periods and the business objectives behind them, you know, like historically, we've talked about the holiday season. Of course, we know um, how big sales are during that time. And then in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of major games come out in Q1, which for many companies is the end of their fiscal year. So it's, you know famously, like, EA wanted to get out Anthem in March right before the end of their fiscal year. That would have been a couple of years ago at this point. Um, Nick brought up the competition that's going to happen in in May and in June with all these games coming out. I wonder, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I might totally be here, is there some mentality of, like, you then have the full fiscal year to get bites at the apple of like, come the holiday season, your game is now on sale or it's bundled with your switch or it's bundled with your, and you get a couple chances to sell it again with DLC or something like that.
3: It's a hard question to answer because many of these games, we don't know um, if they're going to have an expansion or what, what their kind of secondary market strategy looks like. Um, I know You know, the trend in games now is really not, no longer just like play the campaign and put it down, right? So it may be just that the launch period of a game is just less important to many companies, right? Like I know for a fact, Diablo 4, for example, is a live service game. Right, and every quarter they're gonna have a bunch of new content that people are gonna come back and play, and so maybe it doesn't matter as much because there's gonna be like you like you said multiple bites at the apple. Um, but for something like Tears of the Kingdom, I don't think they're making DLC, at least not like meaningful, substantial, like story, you know, triple A quality DLC that might be a move a uh, uh, unit mover again. Um,
1: no, it'll be something. Th- breath of the wild had dlc but that was right. for fans not for right. selling new copies and
3: similar like final fantasy 16 obviously it's a massive um departure from how previous final Fantasy fantasies have been delivered and what the game is like and all of that stuff but that is not a a super prime candidate i think for like another massive dlc although they tried pretty hard with final fantasy 15 to do that i don't think that was all that successful um So it's just interesting, right? Like I I maintain, I I do think that there is going to be a victim during this flurry of major releases. And it's just, I think it's impossible to predict who that is and what the quote unquote lessons learned will be from that, that ripple across for the next couple of years.
0: Do you, uh, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here. Part of all, all of these releases that are coming out though, they're all like established. Other than Breadfall, they're all established IP already. They're franchises. Like, they're franchises. I, I feel like if it this was a different set of AAA games, there would maybe be a someone who gets like hurt. But to me, like they all have such huge dedicated fan bases. I don't see them being hurt as much as you would expect. With having this many AAA games launching in three months.
3: No, I agree. I think it's a really good point. Um, all of these games have huge established built-in communities, all of whom are basically a hundred percent like deal like pot committed. They're all they're they're buying these they games.
0: They knew they were gonna buy it the day it was right. announced.
3: The day it was announced, exactly. I can't wait to play. They've been saying for years and they're following along with all of the patch notes and the betas and the this and the oh my god, I saw a new preview, and yes. Those people are all going to buy it, right? But let's go back. I mean, there is a, a a thing that we have been talking about as we pitch media about Diablo Four, um, and I forget the specific numbers on this, so I'm not going to be like exactly accurate on this. But TLDR, Diablo 3's opening weekend was bigger than Avengers Endgame, and that like that's a fact. Those are those are numbers that we have and we researched and we know all of that and they're publicly available. We're not you know, giving anything out that's uh, behind closed doors. But you don't achieve that level of success without bringing in new players and without getting into that mainstream, right? And I think all of these games, with maybe the exception of like Street Fighter, are all aimed to be that level of success.
1: And to return to the what games are nowadays, live services, always you know trying to bring in new players over the course of several years, we know from how Capcom has supported Street Fighter that this is going to be the platform for the next five, six years. Basically, this console generation is going to be at Evo every year. There's going to be Super Street Fighter 6 and then Super Street Fighter 6 Turbo and, and you know, so... Um, I'm sure there's, they're not as afraid at maybe getting trounced out by Diablo only four days later, cause they know it'll be the talk of the town at Evo in a month. Right.
0: Yeah. I feel like because of that, it gives them even more opportunity to bring in those new players because each beat that they have for live service, if it's meaningful and impactful and big, like, and they make a moment out of it, that's going to drive new players
3: Maybe it drives new players, but really what it does is drive sales amongst their hardcore people, right? Like every time, like think about, I don't know, I'll use Super Smash Brothers, as an example, right? Every time they release a new character, it's what, like 10 bucks? If even. If that. But that's. Yeah,
1: I might be six. Yeah. Might, okay,
3: so let's call it six bucks. But let's say you're able to release a new character every three months. Right, that that might be a little aggressive, but that means that you're banking four characters a year at six bucks each time. So that's twenty-four additional dollars from basically every unit that you sold. Right. So now your game is not seventy dollars; it's ninety-four dollars, and that's only one year of post-launch support. Let's extend that out across. Now you need to buy the Turbo Edition that that Sam said, and I, I don't mean this to like talk trash and say that they're nickel and diming folks this is the business model and it's a business model that makes sense for fighting games in a way that it doesn't necessarily make sense for a game like final fantasy or tears of the kingdom
2: i
1: can confirm if you want minecraft steve in super smash brothers he is 599
3: there you go
0: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even know minecraft steve was in so you learn something every day
3: before we move on, I'm I'm curious. Um obviously there are, there are two members of this call who are like several members of this call who are extremely biased. So we're going to exclude Diablo from this conversation <laughs> cuz Blizzard is our client, but like of all of these games that are coming, like who's buying what and and why? Mm. Okay,
0: that's a good question. I I did think about that, but I was like can we talk about that? But Yes, you... We, just,
3: we can't we'll just not okay. do Diablo and stay safe.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll start. Well, okay, I will say Diablo anyways, because I played the beta, and Me I too. was like, it, rules. I'm, it fucking rules. And I can't wait to play it. The, also, the cinematics, beautiful. I would watch oh. an entire like movie of the cinematics from this game. Anyways, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I am a huge fan of Star Wars. I loved Fallen Order just i'm having a blast with that Redfall, nope and i knew that even before the reviews came out just it did it it didn't look like anything i haven't played before and that's a whole topic of conversation we could dive into but um yeah tears of the kingdom i love zelda breath of the wild i struggled with i was like i'm gonna buy it anyways and hopefully i'll like it so far so good um and then like yeah street fighter 6 i've never been a street fighter person and i've only played one final fantasy game however i am i'm like slightly curious about final fantasy like i might want to watch someone play it and then decide i don't know i'm i'm on the fence with that one but that is those are the games that I'm picking up. Uh, I will be picking up Pikmin Four. I know, like I kind of briefly mentioned that, and that's a to me that's another big Nintendo release. I think the last big release they have slated for the Switch right now. Um,
1: July belongs to Pikmin Four.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm I'm slotting that in with these because it kind of cuts us off at the end. What about you guys?
1: I'm a like, what do I want to be in the mo? What do I not want to miss the moment of being the zeitgeist? And what can I af- afford to wait for? Um, and ob- obviously, if anyone is on Twitter right now, uh, Tears of the Kingdom is the zeitgeist, uh, which is why I'm trying to rapidly beat Breath of the Wild so I can pick up Tears of the Kingdom. I also, as many people do, travel a lot in the summer, so Tears of the Kingdom is going to get a lot of usage um, for work trips, personal trips, um, etc. And uh, the other one uh, for multiplayer playing with friends reasons is Diablo 4. Like I know I'll probably be able to get some people to play with me if I picked it up in a couple months, but I'm going to be a lot more likely whether it's with fellow triple pointers or like, you know, my brother wants to play Diablo. He's never played the franchise before and he's like, I want to pick up Diablo 4. I was like, well, I don't want to miss out on the launch hype. So, um, whereas like I never beat Fallen Order or, um, I don't really care about Final Fantasy spoilers. So like... I'll probably pick those up in the fall, um, but they're not a priority right now. What about you, Haley?
2: Yeah, I um, I had a really interesting crossroad to come to when these games both come out. I have never played a Zelda game in my life, ever. My game niche is so weird that I have never played a Zelda game. Um, I've seen it. I've watched people play it. I was watching... Um, my friends came over on Saturday and we had someone play it on the big screen and we were all just watching. Um, and then Diablo, I've also never played a Diablo game. Um, my dad played it when I was younger, but I managed to somehow avoid it. But I did play the Diablo beta and that really, really sold me to wanting to buy that game. It was beautiful. Um, it was so fun it was so cool i did get kicked out a lot because of like the game crashes on the beta weekend but we made the best of it um and i'm also a big like playing with friends kind of person i play a lot of like league of legends and valorant overwatch in my free time so um diablo has that fun play with friends aspect but it was a really hard crossroads and i think i'll probably pick up diablo we'll see it could still change
1: i will say noting the like Survivor, um, Tears of the Kingdom, Diablo... Final I mean even Final Fantasy and Street Fighter like one thing I've noticed about all five of these games in slightly different ways is that they are all hustling for attention in different ways whether it is the betas for Diablo the beta for Street Fighter 6 which I know has gotten so many people really excited for that game um Final Fantasy 16 has had several deep dives they, they you know they just got the new game informer cover Diablo 4 was last month's game informer cover um Tears of the Kingdom of you know it it was very quiet for a really long time, but that month before release was jam-packed with a gameplay deep type, an incredible cinematic trailer, a press preview uh, event that they flew people out to New York, and then release, uh, and then Jedi Survivor had a press event just a month earlier, whereas like Redfall had a preview like three months ago, and and then it was all mum except for the, hey, this game's only 30 frames per second, which is not the last news beat you want to have before a game comes out. Um, so I, I, I just note that because since the pandemic, I feel like a lot of games have taken a really quiet um, launch campaign. Like God of War Ragnarok didn't have a single preview. And it, of course the hype was there that it didn't really need it. Um, but I feel like these games are all aware that we have to make some noise to stand out amongst the crowd. That's a good point. Mm-hmm.
3: That's a good point.
2: Coming from a place where I had never like played the Zelda games, so I didn't know anything about them, that Tears of the Kingdom was able to stick out to me even though I was not in the fan base. Like, I was so far removed from that group of people, but somehow the very overwhelmingly positive reviews came across my radar, and I was like, wow, people are loving this, and just how loud it was able to be was able to get into my sphere of, I don't play anything like that, but it still made its way on my radar. Am I going? Yeah, you're going. All right.
3: Um, I'm gonna play the hell out of Diablo when it comes out. I don't want to be spoiled on that. I'm re- I, I am a sucker for um, storylines that touch on mythology, right? Like I have God of War essentially themed tattoos. Um, I the angels demons element of Diablo is just like purely my jam. Like when I when I was growing up, um, my my folks would drag me to church. Uh, every Sunday, and I would just read the book of Revelations because that stuff is entertaining <laughs> as hell. Um, it's like, you know, the sea demon rose from the sea and smote all of the sinners, and like, that's Diablo. I'm like, yeah, I'll play that. That's great. Um, so, definitely Diablo. And then I can't believe that all three of you are not on the Final Fantasy thing. I feel like this is a generational deal. Um, Like Final Fantasy VII, obviously, is such a uh, defining game for so many people who are my age. I'm older than the three of you, Um, but like, you know, Aerith dies in Final Fantasy VII, right? And like, that is like one of the first like adult. Moments in any interactive medium or 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 movie, really, that I experienced. I think I was like eight when I was playing that. I was like, "Oh my god, she's dead for real! Like, how do I bring her back?" It's a video game. She can, can I give her a, like a coin or something? Whoa, spoilers, um,
1: man! I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. 20, <laughs> Twenty-five know that, year old
3: game. Anyway, but like my my larger point is like I I want to not be spoiled for whatever they have in store with sixteen and uh, sixteen has you know the traditional Final Fantasy battles and whatever that is. But then it also apparently like has kaiju mode. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I'm playing kaiju mode every, like I just want to like die intentionally when that boss is like one hit down. I'm like, Oh no, I have to play that again. Um, And just do that on repeat.
0: I will say, uh, and I, God, maybe this is an easy answer. I don't know how to just start, into final fantasy this final fantasy 16 do i have to play 15 no no no, no. They, they, that? literally
3: every final fantasy except for there's like one weird exception where they tried to tie them all together i forget it was like during an offsuit side side game they are all original stories so like there's no returning characters okay it's i feel not, like
0: everyone who's always they're like well you have to play this one and you have to play this one before you play this one
3: like there are there are like tropes that are that go across all games and like, you know, we're on a gaming podcast. I'm not going to spend that much time explaining it, but there are crystals in every Final Fantasy game and there are summons in every Final Fantasy Chocobos. game. And Jocobos. And, okay. and like, that's really it. There's usually a guy with spiky hair.
0: Okay.
3: That's about it.
0: Yeah. I, I guess I just haven't looked too much into it, but I, maybe, maybe I will try Final Fantasy 16 because I, I do. I'm like, there are huge moments and I know some people are just like, adore those games but they're kind of intimidating to me and I just haven't spent the time to like look into it and maybe that has something like is there a story that comes out where it's like yeah like this should be your first Final Fantasy game I don't know maybe
3: someone will write that if
1: they're not currently (laughs) to my understanding the other big selling point of 16 is that You know, discounting because like every two or three Final Fantasy now is is an MMO like 14 was, Mm -hmm. Um, but like the last several single player ones, like I think since nine, um, have had some sort of modern or sci-fi bent to them. Yes, 16 is heavily, and they've said as much. Game of Thrones influence; it's bringing it back. To the more fantasy realm of like, you know, I th- again, nine was like the last one. And so that does excite me. I, I like the castles, knights, dragons uh, aesthetic of this one.
0: Yeah, it was that game informer cover was sick. That's yeah. sick. <sighs> and yeah, it's with the, it was like the kaiju, like mm-hmm. dragon monster thing in the background of it. I was like, I don't know what any of this means, but that looks cool. And, yeah, I didn't know that there was, like, the Game of Thrones influence, but I I see it looking at, like, the art for it now. Uh, so kind of moving on, a lot of this um, kind of ties into our jobs as PR. Like, how – if this is going to be the norm and you are have to launch a game in the spring, summer months, or the holiday season and you're going up a bunch of AAA games – um does this change your marketing plans how do you launch a game the same day as a triple a game do you not does it matter um this kind of was a discussion of topic on twitter if people are still using twitter the last week or so um because of the tears of the kingdom release day um i i won't call out the twitter because i won't name names but it basically went around and the rec was essentially that it doesn't matter if you launch the date same day as a triple a game um one of their points was that the conversation we see around triple gate triple a games is a very small bubble aka twitter it's the gaming uh community and that doesn't represent the larger audience um maybe i don't essentially agree with that i think there are so many other factors to this that the conversation we are seeing on twitter does in a way influenced a larger audience because if all reporters are talking about and all content creators are talking about is tears of the kingdom that means they don't have time to talk about your game um, sometimes that doesn't matter but sometimes it does we've had clients in the past who have told us that our work as pr professionals drove their sales and that was the only thing that drove sales because for a number of reasons and maybe that could have been like they couldn't afford other marketing So, to me, that means, like, no, we do not launch the same day as a AAA game, because if you're driving sales through PR, you need press to talk about it. It needs to be everywhere. I would not recommend launching the same day as Tears of the Kingdom. Um, But yeah, this this was talked about all last week. Everybody had different opinions. Some people were like, it doesn't matter. Some say it does. I would like to know your guys' thoughts on that and go from there. Nick, you want to start?
3: Okay. You can see me champing at the bit here. Um, look, I think that we're talking about essentially two different things. Um, and I, I think the conversation on Twitter, just by virtue of 140 character limits, um, makes it have to stay really high level and not get into the nuance of this.
0: It was but, a thread, I will say. It was a, That's fair. There was like graphs and everything.
3: That's fair. I, like I think from a business and results and sales perspective, it depends on the game, right? Like you probably don't want to release a Zelda like game the same day as a new Zelda. Right. Um, but I think you can still sell units. I think you can still sell copies of games that are, uh, substantially differentiated, um, during those time periods. Now from a PR perspective, uh, it's a hard no. I mean, like go to IGN now t- and what today is the 18th and I forget the exact day of Tears of the Kingdom's release, but I think it was like 2 weeks ago. And you go to ign.com right now and I believe that 3 of the 4 main stories are Tears of the Kingdom mm-hmm. still, right? And yeah. have been ever since launch day. And that means even if you're successful and you get somebody in to do a, you know, cover your game that's not Tears of the Kingdom, you're probably not going to get top placement or engagement or traffic at the same level that you would if you weren't competing with that. Now, obviously PR is not the be-all and end-all of uh, games marketing or how games perform or any of that stuff, but it is certainly not an ideal PR time frame to be launching around these games. Um, you can still be successful as a business and as a company doing so, um, but I think the o- the the only other thing that I would probably say and recommend is, like, to, ma- to make these decisions, I think it makes sense to invest relatively heavily in an early mock review and really get an understanding of how your game might perform critically and then also what are its standout features. And if those standout features are super similar to big AAA games that are coming, that's when you start thinking about making an adjustment to your launch date. Right, you probably can't push it back, so you might need to push it forward because you don't want to be lesser than Tears of the Kingdom if you're a Zelda-like game and your standout features are the same. But those um, mock reviews and really drilling in on like what makes this game fun, what is the fun factor, why do I enjoy this game, what am I gonna when I leave when I, and my elevator pitch of the game, does it sound identical to one of these other big AAA games that are coming out? Okay, that's going to be much tougher. Um So anyway, I'm ranting and raving at this point. I'm very curious what everyone else thinks.
1: I mean, another way to think about what Nick said is to think about, you know, same thing with the, you know, it's a a fragment, uh, a way to view our perspective on VR or PR is who are your audiences and what will they care about at that time? Um, Like, you know, just I referenced it earlier, but Street Fighter 6 comes out four days before Diablo 4. Those are both huge games. And while there are probably people interested in multiplayer games or or some aspect of competitiveness, there is some, some PvP in Diablo 4, like, there's not a whole lot of overlap between a fighting game and an action RPG. That's why I think those games can occupy the same space, and they're ultimately coming out four days between each other. When you also look at the influencers, the, you know, fighting game influencers are going to be churning out Street Fighter content for all of June, and... Pretty much anybody else is probably going to be playing Diablo 4 until Final Fantasy 16 comes out. Um, and whereas, like, you know, Mortal Kombat 1 was just announced this week, um, you know, that's going to be hardy competition against Street Fighter 6. I honestly don't know who would shake out there, but obviously it is beneficial to both of them to not release within the same week of each other.
2: yeah. Um, obviously, I kind of have a baby stance on it because I've only kind of been in the gaming PR sphere for, what, three weeks <laughs> now? But um, being that I have, like, the baby stance on it, I've done a lot of, like, digging through coverage. Um, and we've had so many releases, it was definitely an interesting time to, like, hop on things with it kind of being a chaotic um, summer. But one thing I've noticed going through it is... Um, you know, if something big happens, maybe there's three diehard people who are always writing about, I'm going to say like League of Legends, just because it's so out of, out of left field. But maybe there's three diehard people writing about League of Legends and four people who sometimes write about it when there's a patch. But if there's another game that occupies those four sway journalists, you're going to miss that media coverage. And if your game relies so heavily, like if your marketing plan relies so heavily on media coverage, then I feel like it would be a good idea for you to shift your stuff But obviously, like Nick said, there's so much that goes into that. But um, yeah, if you're super heavy on what people have to say about it, then I feel like that makes sense.
0: No, that's a very good point and something we think about. And I think it's, yeah, if PR is a big part of your marketing plan, that's even more important because a lot of, as we've seen, a lot of these gaming sites are, there's a huge shakeup happening in the journalism world. And there are fewer and fewer journalists who can be like beat reporters essentially on one kind of game so before when we had someone who's like yes they would only write about Diablo and this one would only write about Final Fantasy now they have one person who has to cover both which means you have less time to like or less amount of articles going out for one outlet on your game um it's unfortunate and really sad to see this happen with journalists journalists but it does change how we target them as PR professionals. Um, another thing to kind of think about, um, and it was one of the issues that kind of affected Jedi Survivor and Redfall. And Nick, you talked about doing the mock reviews, but also like QA testing, like yes. issues and bugs. Do you launch your game in such a busy time when you know it's? Not gonna be great at launch. Like that shouldn't have come, it really shouldn't have come as a surprise to the developers. They know what state their game is in when they send the final um, version over to PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, whoever it is. Um, but yeah, i I feel like those those two titles really got hit hard in their coverage. Um Jedi Survivor, because it is an established IP and a beloved franchise. People are going to buy it and play it anyways, wait for the patches to come out. But for something like Redfall, when you're just... You're swamped with bugs and that's all people are seeing in coverage. I'm not sure who's buying that game.
1: It's... uh, Go Go ahead, ahead, Sam. I was just going to say... And there's a lot of other like extraneous circumstances contributing to this, but like the one upside of how busy this release period is is like no one's talking about the Redfall problems. A week, like a week <laughs> later, every everybody's talking about Tears of the Kingdom. I mean, like when Cyberpunk came out in December and was the last yeah. major game of that right. year, it was all anybody talked about for two to three weeks. Of course, the hype for Cyberpunk was a lot higher for Redfall. I digress. Um, but um, yeah, the importance. I mean, Phil Spencer said as much in his kind of post mortem on the kind of funny X cast about Redfall is like their mock reviews were off the mark. They didn't. Um, they weren't hard enough on the game. They were expecting it to come in at around a seventy on Metacritic, and it came in at a sixty. Uh, and so, like like Nick said, it's not just enough to do a mock review. You had to have a good one.
0: Right. Also did they get internal people to do these mock reviews i mean the people the people i've worked with for mock reviews are brutally honest (laughs) as they should that's what we want them to be that should be very clear when you hire someone to do a mock review is you need to know their true feelings because like if you're a mock reviewer people are telling you your game's gonna come at a 70 and then you launch that
3: I think it's really tough when it comes to technical issues and mock reviews because by by the nature of mock reviews, you're often going to have to play a game while it still has technical issues. And so the developer will just tell you, like, the tech issues will be solved True. by launch. True. Right? Yes. And so, you know, that's something that I th- I think probably popped up in red falls mock reviews i don't know when they did them i don't know who they did them with right like there's so yeah. much um context that we're missing to really understand the, uh what phil's really saying there um but i can tell you that uh jedi survivor crawls if you get around water
0: oh yeah that's like, the oh the absolutely frame crawls. the drop frames is rough
3: it's like I to a point where like there's a there's one boss like optional boss fight that's like under a waterfall and I'm just like nope just not doing that I don't care like it's it's just I can't it's almost um, game breaking to to have to fight somebody in those in those circumstances so
0: yeah other than that the game runs game still rules <laughs> <rolled>. just water <laughs> yeah.
3: like yeah it's one of those it's like you have to like blow on it like it's a Nintendo cartridge I don't know <laughs>
0: Oh, those were the days when I could fix game bugs by blowing <laughs> on a cartridge.
1: <laughs> I I also wonder, and this is beyond PR's control, but like, you know, the the major thing plaguing Survivor's launch was the PC version. And a studio um you know, Capcom has, has followed this release structure where they put out their games on console, they're very polished, run well, and then months later the PC version will come out um, having had the developer solely focus on that skew and it comes out running great. And I know obviously, again, that's beyond our control, but like, I wonder if that's the approach that needs to be taken with these massive
3: games that
1: can't, you know, easily be developed across multiple systems and release at the same time.
3: Yeah. I mean, that stuff is like, it's, it's so complex. um, And it's so beyond my level of understanding (laughs) or or like, I don't, I don't know why it runs better or worse on a PC versus a console when most consoles are just uh, PCs, but downgraded. But I digress on that. Um, I think, you know, like, like the ultimate underlining of all of this is like, these are massive, massive, massive investments. They take years to make. They are meticulously marketed and packaged together and like all of these, you know, so many different factors go into whether or not a game launch is successful versus just a game is successful and fun to play. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, we've heard people in this industry talk about like, it's like steering an aircraft carrier. And I think it's pretty obvious when you see things like that, how hard it is to turn the aircraft carrier. Um, if things come in, even a little rushed or even a little last minute and just being like pivoting is really, really tough um, for launches of this
0: magnitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Never will have all the answers there, but yeah, it's something to think about. Another thing that we haven't touched on with these like busy release windows and especially if we think like this spring summer is going to, Busy window is going to continue. How do events play into this? We're used to having the E3 window happening during a slow period. Well, now this year, E3 is not happening, but Summer Games Fest is happening. There's the Xbox showcase. PlayStation's getting a little ahead of it with theirs next week. um But you can Steam Next Fest, there's PC Gamer Show. There's just so many events and announcements that are going to be happening in the next month um does this window give them time to breathe or are we just like i don't know is it shooting ourselves in the foot do we think this is going to change i feel like the whole industry is just kind of like refiguring out their structure um i'd like to know you guys thoughts do we think this event window is going to stay the same is it going to move what do we think
1: Ooh, um it's interesting. It's, I mean, the timing of it is funny because like Diablo comes out. Uh, and now of course, after it is, is final fantasy sixteen. That's kind of the outlier, but like all these major games come out and then like just two days later, summer game fest is like, all right, enjoy what you're playing right now. Here's what's coming in the next six months. And I don't, I don't foresee it changing because the interest and demand is there to be participating and to get the word out. Like, Um, there will be, again, there will be winners and losers, but, uh, you know, history is made by the victors and like Sony is not afraid at all to come out here next week and debut gameplay of Spider-Man two. Uh, you know, why do they have a reason to move? It's again, comes down to how other people who might have the same type of audience need to react accordingly. Um, but these big events, Summer Game Fest, PlayStation, the Xbox Showcase. Um, I don't foresee them moving. Maybe some of the other ones will because they're getting drowned out by these other big ones, but I don't think the, the big boys or the big dogs have a reason to.
0: Nick, you're.
1: Okay.
0: I know I you're a, like, you a, don't want to like, dominate rant. the conversation, I have a but rant I love prepared. it. Please um, rant away. So I got,
3: I, got t- I got two things that I think um, at a macro level are playing into this, right? Um, one, we all we all are familiar with the like the origins of E3, right? Like it was a trade show, so that Toys R Us knew how many copies of a game they had to buy and put on shelves, right? And I'm simplifying it, but that was it was a trade show in June, so that Toys R Us in December would have the right games at the right numbers, right? To, obviously, now we have digital distribution. So E3 is no longer nearly as key. And I think that also plays a part in why some of these games are coming out in May now, right? Because of digital distribution. And then two, there is another major gaming event that has popped up. And Sam, you just said E3 is for six months later. Well, we're six months after TGAs right now, right? And how many of these games were at TGAs that we've been talking about? I think all of them except Zelda. Right? I'm pretty sure if I, I was... I remember being there. Yeah. I know Diablo was there. Street Fighter I 6. Remember, yes. I remember Street Fighter 6 was there. I'm pretty sure Final Fantasy 16 was there or it might have been a preview like right around
0: Yeah. Then, and Jedi right? Survivor had... I Jedi mean, the actor was yes, there. Yes, he
3: was there. I I shook his hand. I was like, you're a ginger. Hey, <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, like, right? So like now you're seeing... Now there's two windows and maybe that is somewhat... Um, the tail wagging the dog or like it'd be interesting to think about like what is the chicken and egg scenario of those two. Those are the two real like tentpole moments for something big is coming in six months. It's May and December and like that's or sorry, June and December. And now we have release windows that are essentially October and May.
0: The the Jeff Keeleyification yeah. of the games industry. The Keely- He's both the chicken and yes. the egg.
3: Yes, Jeff Keelander,
1: Yeah, <laughs> there can
3: only be one. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's interesting. It's a
1: great point. Oh, Sam, I thought you were. No, I'm just kind of like I'm. Yeah, I mean, like he owns it. I mean, the game awards happen, a little to my annoyance, like beginning of december when i'm like give people more time to play the games make the game awards in january uh but like for all these marketing reasons like um it totally makes sense and again it is like almost date to date exactly six months before summer game fest kicks off
0: yeah that's a very good point point. and then you have his the games cop that happens two months later <laughs> yeah from summer games fest
1: And in some ways that acts as though, you know, you'll see things at Summer Game Fest in June with like a cinematic trailer and then they'll show up at Gamescom with like the first debut of gameplay or or vice versa. Um, Things will show up at Gamescom one year and then the next year they'll be fully kicking off at Summer Game Fest. Like, you know, Keeley, I mean, I would hopefully one day we will get to speak with him on this show. Like I he's built quite the the savvy timeline that works very advantageously for so many studios.
0: Yeah. I'd, I would love to know if that was a thought ahead of time or it just kind of like happened that way and was yeah. like, "This works. We're keeping this. We're just gonna expand on it. Um, but yeah, lots lots to think about. Um Anything else that you guys want to discuss about the busy window that is? These couple months with games,
3: there. Sam Sam was talking about this earlier, and like how hard it is to stand out in these very busy times that are dominated by major tentpole AAA games. Um, and I think it's it's really interesting to think about that not only at if you're a smaller studio level, but like I know that all of those studios are thinking about that too, right? And um, since we are a PR-related podcast, um, I'm just going to throw out a plea to uh, AAA game developers to really consider and consult with their PR team as they're putting together their marketing plans for these games um, so that when it comes time to launch the major marketing activation The PR team is ready and able to amplify that um, as much as possible because it's not just, you know, you don't want to just reach the people in the room, Mm -hmm. right? Or you don't want to just seize a moment. You want to start a movement. Um, And starting a movement means consistent steady amplification across multiple channels which includes PR includes social includes community includes creators and just the more that these things all work together um the easier and better it is to get all of the great results that we're seeing for all of these games and so that's just you know th- some of that is like very no duh but um i i am very very excited about all of the things that we have seen um I'm very excited about some of the things that I know are coming um and uh we will have lots to talk about when it comes to like the stunty part of PR um to examine and dissect in all of the months to come thanks to mm-hmm. this busy period
0: amen yeah or, I love it H- hail Satan as, <laughs> as the Diablo people would say <laughs> um all right well thank you guys so much for joining us i this was a great conversation and i look forward to more fruitful conversations in the future um i'll we can start just like where can people find you Haley? (laughs) oh if you want people to find you if you don't you don't have to say we you can stay ominous
2: and and i mean you would like to they could they can find me on Twitter. My at is Hakey, E-X-E. It's hakeyexe. E X E. It's H A K E Y E X E. I think that's actually my at for everything. So you could find me pretty much everywhere. Love it. Definitely go give her a follow. Uh, Nick, where can people find
0: you or your yeah, alter ego, I was Rick? Say,
3: don't follow me on Twitter. It's it's at Nick and, and Nick there. and Rick Shep. <laughs> Rick does all of the tweeting. I don't trust that guy. You shouldn't <laughs> either either. Um and, you know,
0: you're selling Rick short because if they're yeah on yeah, what, yeah yeah Chargers then, fans? then get in there and Padres what? Chargers <laughs> and, Padres yes Padres
3: yeah no I almost said that the Dodgers would have been a Cardinals. Like, I'm, I'm literally wearing a chain that has the San fired. Diego Padres logo on it right now.
0: <sighs> yeah, so if you are a fan of those sports, go give Rick a follow. Sam, where can people find you?
1: Find me everywhere at Sam Scott Mosier. Uh, including on Letterboxd. Not sure if I'll be seeing Fast X this weekend, but I'll be seeing some movie. <laughs> Caitlin, where can people find
3: you?
0: <laughs> they can find me at Caitlin Redwing. Um, I will not be seeing Fast X. I'm sorry.
3: Should we do <laughs> no, a sequel no podcast <laughs> to talk about yeah. that? Because that's crazy.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> I We have been like, we want to talk about movies, okay. but this is, we don't, I guess we kind of worked in movies a little bit. But,
1: don't it's
0: it's, Yeah, it's the real, real-time strategy, but it's R-E-E-L. Nice. Yeah, it's, we're, we're super nerds. Um, Caitlin, where but, can people find know. you? I said. Oh, okay. wait, Sorry, my bad. I just said I won't be watching Fast X, though. Sorry, so I was so hurt not, by
1: that I forgot it.
0: I know. They might not want to follow You're me. You're out of the family. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, I've been kicked out. It's okay. I'll find another family. Um, but you can find the podcast at real time, uh, strats on Twitter. You can email us at podcast at triple point com, and let us know if there's a topic you want us to talk about or any guest ideas. We'd love to hear them. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and have a great day.